Actually, I don't know where to turn yet. Um, so <laughs> we're just going to start one place. It's a lot of different um, passages this morning that we're going to hit. Um, but I'll never forget the summer. Uh, it must have been probably around my sixth grade summer year uh, whenever I attended a basketball camp up in the Poconos, and I just loved basketball camps. It was the best because you got to go and just do all things basketball, work on some drills, do, work on the fundamentals of the game, go, and there'd be tournaments, there'd be three-on-three uh, -three things, there'd be all kinds of playing games, just always a good time. And I don't remember much about the game. I don't remember uh, if it was a championship game. I don't remember if it was the game to get to a championship game or what, what it was, but I remember this game really well, and I was the one who was for sure carrying and leading the team. I think it was mainly because a lot of the folks on my team were just younger, and uh, and so it was. I was really invested in this game for some reason. That's all I remember, and uh, what I do know is that we lost. And when we lost, I lost it. Like I lost it. I lost my temper. I lost my emotions. I lost it with the team. It just. I took off out of the building, and I was like, what in the world? Like, it affected me big time. This is like the sixth grader, right? This big stuff. And <laughs> there I am, and I'm outside of this, you know, this facility where it was at, and counselors are checking on me, like, are you okay? Like, what's going on? And I don't understand. I don't know why I lost it so much, but I lost it. And I remember it very well, that part, anyhow. It's so weird. I had reached my boiling point. Ever been there? And, you know, you watch this pot of of water or whatever, you're getting ready to, to make something and you got to wait and wait. And, but there is this point when you reach where it reaches it and it reaches the boiling point. Have you ever been there? I, I know you have. Um, I know you have been. Your patience with your coworkers, maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's with your parents. Um, it's just gone and you have had enough. And this morning, we want to pick back up and looking at some of the different characteristics and the qualities of what it is, the fruit that, um, what it is that shapes and characterizes the lives of believers as we stay close to the Lord, those who are following after Jesus. Here's the deal. If you're visiting with us this morning or not been around here long, and you might be wondering, what does it mean to be a Christian? What do we believe that is? And what's the big deal about Jesus? I hope that you've gotten a taste of that, even as we've sung songs about why we're here and the hope that we have in Christ. Let me tell you what a Christian is not. It's not someone who has this list of stuff that they're doing or someone who follows some list of rules so that they're good enough so that they can earn their salvation. They can earn um, that spot in, in God's eyes that, oh, this person is good enough so that they're saved. The Christian life, it is not about being good enough, but the Christian life is a life that is surrendered to the only one who is good enough, and that's Jesus. The gospel that has given us a reason to sing this morning, that we've sung of this morning, is, is only good news, because it's not about having, it's not about how right we've gotten things in our lives. It's not about not having too many failures. It's not about checking off boxes on some list so that we can prop ourselves up as if we're looking good to God in some way because no matter how hard we try on our own efforts and our abilities, we can never be good enough. Besides, as the question has been asked, how good is good enough anyhow? Who gets to say? You know, well, we believe that the Bible gets to say, and God's word says this in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know this. We're sinners. We don't have to look far. We know that we are not perfect, that we haven't gotten it all right. And we fall short of the glory of God. But, but here's the good news. 
And the good news is that there is God's grace that is all about God's grace. It is all about his mercy. Paul continues on in verse 24 there in Romans 3. And how is it that we are saved? How is it that we can have a relationship with a perfect God? Here's what he says. He says, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It is all because of Jesus' death on the cross that we can be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship with him through faith. It's not about works. And here's the amazing thing that happens, that whenever we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, something amazing happens and we get to experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one in body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so as we, whenever we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, there's this thing that happens automatically where we are baptized into the family through the Holy Spirit. And what happens in the life of the believer at that point is we start to grow, and we grow in Christ's likeness. We call this sanctification. Here's what Paul writes in, to the Romans in Romans 8, 28-30. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see that in verse 29? I don't know if you have your Bibles, I'm like sort of just cruising through it. But if you know these verses, Romans um, 8, verse 29, what does it say he's doing? He's working for the good. And then, what else is the encouragement here? But he's got a purpose for your life. And then he continues on, and it says that he's conforming and he's shaping you into the likeness of Jesus. Like, that's his purpose. That's what he aims to do in your life. He wants to see you become more like Jesus. Throughout God's word, Paul speaks about how the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer, giving the desire and the grace to strive to become like Jesus. It's not like we're, we're, we need to do this on our own efforts to try to be more like Jesus. We can't do that. Another place, over and over, um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Paul writes this, it's, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. And so therefore, my beloved, uh, in Philippians, he writes to the church there in Philippians 2, verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. We're called to work out our salvation. We're called to live this out. If you're following after Jesus, we are called to live our lives in pursuit of, of honoring him and glorifying him. But we do it with all of his strength and his grace and all of his energy. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. 
We're not looking at, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 if, if you'd like. And that's what we've been coming around through this series. And the idea is, and what we need to know is that this list of what this, uh, the characteristics and qualities of the Christian life and, and what he's, we're being shaped into isn't something that we do on our own efforts, but it's something by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that he is working in us. And this is the evidence, this is the fruit that shapes and, and molds our lives. But the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We've talked about a number of these already. Love, joy, peace, and self-control. And this morning we're going to talk about patience. J.I. Packer in his um, book entitled Knowing and Doing the Will of God, he wrote about the fruit of the Spirit like this. He talked about love. He says, love is the Christ-like reaction to people's malice. Joy is the Christ-like reaction to depressing circumstances. Peace is the Christ-like reaction to troubles, threats, and invitations to anxiety. And this morning we're going to look at patience where he says this. Patience is the Christ-like reaction to all that is maddening. To all that is maddening. It doesn't take much sometimes, does it? Maybe someone cuts you off in traffic. You could be driving down and just listening to maybe even some worship music or something good, and you're in this good place. You're having your quiet time with the Lord as you're driving, and this happens. Whoa, it changes in a moment. Oh, that person. You don't get the project that you felt was yours to have in the, in the workplace. Maybe you wake up and you need that item of clothing, and the laundry is not done. Someone did not move it to the dryer, or someone took it out. Someone took it out of the dryer before the dryer was done so they could put their stuff in the dryer. <laughs> Happens, guys. Um, and, it's a, and it is a big deal. Um, someone didn't clean up after themselves. The list goes on and on. It could be something so little, right? So much of how our lives are shaped as we stay close to the Lord is in regards to our attitudes and our approaches and our behaviors. And so... Let's just bow our heads and let's pray. We didn't even stop to pray yet. And, and I just want to, um, as we continue on in this. Our Father in heaven, thank you for, God, your word. Thank you for the opportunity for us to gather together each week and just to, to sit and to read and to be encouraged and, and um, to experience the conviction of your spirit and to hear your voice, uh, Lord, as... We desire as a, as a church family to be a people who are, are being shaped and being into your likeness more and more. And so, God, this morning as we talk about patience, this is one that all of us deal with um, in some manner. And just to be reminded of, uh, Lord, what it is that you're calling us to as your people. And so may it be true of us that as we follow your example, God, that we would shine bright for you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, in his book entitled The Fruit of the Spirit, Becoming the Person God Wants You to Be, the author writes, when we are patient, we do not quickly retaliate, return like for like, or take revenge. Patience is self-restraint in the face of provocation. It doesn't quickly punish, but thinks 
before it responds, and if it responds, it responds appropriately. People who have learned to let this fruit grow in their lives are able to hang in there, to not surrender to circumstances or give up whenever going through trials. And so as people who are growing in Christ, growing in patience is an expression of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Because Paul reminds us that this is how God works, and as a father is, so the children will resemble as they spend time with him. Throughout the Old Testament, we find this refrain over and over and over, and I just want to read it so that we hear it over and over. It's like singing a song that has this refrain or this chorus that we, we do this. We sing a verse, then we sing the chorus, and we come back, and you think, man, we just sang that chorus a lot. Um, and it's really, that's it's intentional, right? So that we hear it. This is like a, a theme of the song, and we want to come back to it, and we want it, as we leave the song, that's one of the things that we really want to take with us from it. And so in the same way, we hear this refrain all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout Scripture. And so I just want to read it through so that we just hear it, like this is who our God is. Throughout the Old Testament, uh, whenever God tells Moses to come back to him with two new tablets after he's already spent time with the Lord and he got these the Ten Commandments and he goes down and what does he find? But he finds that the Israelites are there worshiping these golden calves and, and the two tablets get broken. And so God tells him, I want you to get two new tablets and come up and we're going to... Um, redo this thing but this is how God describes himself in Exodus 34 6 the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness in Numbers 14 18 I don't know here if you have your Bibles it's worth just looking at it because it's like it says it over and over throughout Scripture. And so in Numbers 14, 18, the people are rebelling. And the Lord has just said this to Moses in verse 11 there in chapter 14. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise, despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. God has had enough. And he's like, these people, they don't get it. I don't understand. And Moses, he intercedes on behalf of the people. And he says, remember, remember whenever you said this? In verse 18, he says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As the people in the days of Nehemiah, they're gathering together and they're confessing their sin. They remember this as they remember their history. And they're calling this to mind. They, they remember this in Nehemiah 9.17. We're told this, that they refused to obey and they were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. They're just recounting like, this is our story. We know this. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. The psalmist says this line in Psalm 86, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Again in Psalm 103, 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, in Psalm 145, verse 8, 
He could have just hit copy and paste. He says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In Jeremiah 15, verse 15, the prophet Jeremiah says this. He says, O oh Lord, you know, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. And he's talking about in your forbearance. He's knowing, he's reminding him. In the call to repentance, the prophet Joel is banking on God's patience and his long-suffering love. In Joel chapter 2, verse 13, he's calling the people to repentance and he says, And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. Think back to the story of Jonah. Why is it that Jonah, he took off and God said, Hey, I want you to go do this, and Jonah ran away. Um, why did he do it? Here's why. As you look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said whenever I was yet in my country, that this is why I made haste to flee Tarshish? For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He's like, I knew it, God. I knew you were going to do it. And in case you haven't gotten the idea, Nahum 1, verses 2 and 3, we find that this is how he speaks of God's character. The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm. You hear the message? What's God like? Dang, thank you. Someone heard it. We said it a million times. So slow to anger, right? He is patient, so patient, so, so patient with, with us. But that does not mean that he is not just and that he will withhold his wrath as is right. But do you see how his patience is a call to what? Repentance. Over and over. He is delaying for a reason, for a purpose. He is patient for a reason. And that is so that we would turn in repentance. He's delaying so that we might turn to him and away from sin, and so we don't want to misuse that. So that's all throughout the Old Testament we see that. What do we see in the New Testament? Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. It's all right in line from the Old Testament to the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 10 or verse 8. But do not overlook this fact. Peter's writing here. But do not overlook this fact, beloved. He loves them so much that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you. He is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Saying the point of the delay here, the reason that he's not come yet again is to give an opportunity for repentance. Because look how it's going to go in verse 10. But the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The day of the Lord is going to come. The question is, are you going to be ready? He is only delaying so that you will be ready. And that you will turn to him. 
Because the day is going to come, and we don't know when it's going to come. You know how, like, that person comes, and they just come in the middle of the night, and they take and steal? It's not like you planned on them coming, thought they were going to show up. You did not. You did not know they were coming. And it's going to be like that, and so be ready. Look what Paul says to the Romans in Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. We often say, talk about that God's kindness leads us to repentance. There, right before it, it's talking about God's kindness. What's that kindness look like? One of the ways is it's patience. His patience and his kindness leads us to repentance. But because of your hardened and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. Over and over, what do we find that God is like? How is it that he works and why is it that he is so patient with us? He is so patient with us because he wants us to change our ways. He wants us to, to turn to him, turn from our sin and follow after him. This is what we see in Jesus' life over and over. Also in John 13, 1, as he's dealing with his disciples and all their failures and all their shortcomings and how they didn't see and they didn't understand what was going on and what he was doing. How is it that he cared for them? John 13, 1 says this, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He didn't give up on them, but he stayed with them, and he kept on working with them, and, and that's good news for me. And I know it's good news for all of us, because, man, we get it wrong so many times, but what does he keep on doing? He keeps on loving them to the end. Ultimately, his patience was demonstrated towards us as he as he endured the violence, the cruelty, and the injustice, as he was crucified on the cross to bear the weight and the burden and the punishment of our sins. And so, one way or another, whether you're following after Jesus or you're not and you're in this room, we have all and we are all experiencing the patience of God in some way. We've messed up and we deserve some form of punishment or consequence, but but there is mercy, and we don't get what we deserve. And so that's where it all starts, with the patience of God and his desire for us to come, and we look at Jesus and his example for us. And with that said, then, there are all who are his, and all who follow after him, our lives are to be characterized in the same way. All the more shaped into his likeness as we become and as we grow in patience. So what's that look like for us? The Apostle Paul instructs Timothy to follow his example. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and look at verse 10. How is Paul instructing Timothy? What's one of the things that he's saying? I want you to grow in this. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 10 says this, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience. My love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. He's saying, in the midst of even the hardest things, whenever you're being persecuted, patience looks like enduring. It looks like persevering and keeping on going. Are you facing some kind of hardship in your life for the sake of your faith? Maybe as you look around the world and you're like, man, I'm not facing it like some of our brothers and sisters around the world, but I am facing it in a different way. 
maybe in your families, maybe friendships that you have in your workplace, where it's something like just taking a stand for what God's word has to say is right, is looked upon by those who are around you as like, you're nuts, you're crazy, right? There's nothing wrong with this. But for you to take a stand and to patiently take that and endure is one thing. Peter encourages us as we face these trials to trust the Lord and follow his example. First Peter 4.19 says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing it. You can trust the Lord. Patience looks like trusting the Lord even in the hardest of times. Sometimes it's persevering and enduring with others. It's not always easy to be patient. You know, you're, you're dealing with that, that child who, who once again is not wanting to listen, not wanting to do what you have asked to be done and, and laid the gu- guidelines out. Or maybe it's in the workplace and, and this employee, if you are a supervisor, is asked numerous times this needs to be done and just being patient or, or with going the other ways also. And you feel like, I just can't do it anymore. We're called to be patient. And so how can we grow in patience with others? How about this? Let's try to see others as Jesus sees them. Maybe try to understand why others are acting the way they do. Why maybe they're protecting themselves from something like rejection. Is there something going on that is giving them a reason to be hard towards the things of God? Maybe you've been praying for someone for a long time. God, I'm just asking that they would come and that they'd turn to you and that they'd come to understand and know your grace and your mercy. And maybe there's something that's, that's gone on that has caused a hardness to the things of God and we just need to patiently love them. And as we are patient, the Lord has the ability to, to use it to help others. William Law, he writes this in his book entitled, The Power of the Spirit. We may take for a certain rule that the more the divine nature and life of Jesus is manifest in us, and the higher our sense of righteousness and virtue, the more we shall pity and love those who are suffering from the blindness, disease, and death of sin. The sight of such people, then, instead of raising in us a haughty contempt or holier-than-thou indignation, will rather fill us with such tenderness and compassion as when we see the miseries of a dreaded disease. You hear what he's saying? He's saying the more that we become like Jesus, the more that we see things from his perspective, the closer that we become and stay connected with the Lord as we abide in him, the more that we're going to be slow to anger, abounding in love, and we'll be tender and compassionate towards others because we understand. And we understand and we see in how the miseries of the dreaded disease that there is for the person who has yet to know Jesus. And so patience looks like persevering and enduring with others, but what else can be said about patience and persevering with, in our relationships with others? What's the first thing that is said in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1? Love is patient. It's like at the top of the list of the things uh, of how Paul describes love in this passage. Throwing this church in Corinth, and things are not all hunky-dory there. Things are not easy. And Paul is writing to encourage them. It looks like sticking with a friend who is struggling through a difficult time and continuing to stay by their side, maybe even whenever they've wronged you. Maybe whenever they seem to be headed in a wrong direction, it's the spouse who stays 
at the side of their spouse in their sickness or disability and cares for them. It's the parent sticking in there with their child, even when the ingratitude and not doing what has been asked for who knows how many times. It's the child not holding on to hard feelings because the parent hasn't come through like they should have, or at least how they think they should have. Patience has been defined by one as the ability to take a great deal of punishment from evil people or circumstances without losing one's temper, without becoming irritated and angry, or without taking vengeance. It's included, it includes the capacity to bear pain or trials without complaint, the ability to bear under severe provocation, and the self-control which keeps one from acting rashly even though suffering opposition or adversity. It's going long in the relationship with people. Not thinking on the short term, but it's saying, I'm in here, and I'm going to stick with you. It also means putting up with things other people do or don't do when you wish they would have. It's forbearing. It's bearing with others. It's forgiving. It's not holding a grudge. It's overlooking a hurtful and unkindness rather than, than fighting back and just bringing it right back at them. You can do this when you're aware of your shortcomings and weakness so that you're able to be patient with others. Paul says this in Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. Put, then, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. He's saying, look, look at what Jesus has done for you. Do that. And one more thing for us this morning. Patience also has this sense of waiting. We live in such a hurried culture. I think this morning as I was listening in a little bit on that whisper class downstairs that just started, you know, it's the idea, you, we're in such a go-go culture, so many voices that we don't even slow down to hear. And patience has this idea of waiting. And there's this thing that is, is slowing down in our hurried culture when much is at our fingertips, we want it now. We, we have a question for something. Um, all we have to do is say, hey, Google, or, oh. <laughs> so, or, or, hey, Siri. No, nothing. Must, I don't know. And there you go. You, you've got all the answers. I'm surprised this thing didn't turn on. Um, okay. But, uh. But yeah, we got answers just like that. We just say it, and there it comes. Or maybe when our software to work, it is like slow as anything in our, in our work. And it's just, it's frustrating as all gets out. And we want it to be fixed now, but there is much in our life that isn't like that, right? You don't just say it and boom, let me serve you. No, it's not like that. It's much that is out of our control, and we have to wait. It's in God's control. And patience is waiting on entrusting in his timing with expectancy. So we wait, and we look forward to the day of his return. We look forward with trust that he's going to heal, that he's going to provide, that he's going to protect, and he's going to do miracles. One of my favorite verses is Isaiah 26, 8. In the paths of your judgment, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desires of our souls. Lord, we wait for you. We're waiting on him. We're patiently waiting on you, but does that mean that we're just sitting there, um, just sitting there waiting, doing nothing? 
and just, I, I don't know when, he, when it's going to happen, but, and it's going to happen, I guess, and, but I'm just going to sit here and I'm not going to do anything. No, we don't, we don't wait like that. We are patiently waiting with expectancy. He's the one who is the desire of our souls. We know who we're waiting on. He's the one who is our rock and our refuge, our savior. He's the one who has promised that he's going to come again. And we have every reason to have our confidence in that and believe that that is going to be the case, that Jesus is coming again. And we're going to do anything and everything that we can for the glory of his name and for his fame and for his renown until that day comes. We're going to keep on worshiping. We're going to keep on praising his name. We're going to keep on gathering as his church. We're going to keep on serving uh, as his church. We're going to keep extending the same kind of patience with others in the church family and those outside the church family in our biological families and those beyond, in our community, that we would be a people who are extending patience that the Lord has had with us to others. In his final instructions to the church in Thessalonica, Paul writes this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 to 22. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. How is it that we're supposed to come alongside folks? Patience. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. I love it. He just lays it out. Can this be said of you? Can this be said of us? I pray it is so. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. We can't do this also unless we are involved with other people in our lives. This doesn't mean, oh, okay, I'm just going to wait till that day whenever he comes and he returns again, and I'm just going to go and, and hide away from everybody else and wait for that and be on my own. I'm an introvert anyhow. I don't really need people. No, he's saying... You can't do this stuff unless you're involved with people. And you need to be apart and plugged in and engaged with others. You see someone who's faint, encourage them. You see someone who's weak, come alongside and, and assist. You see someone who is, who is needing some kind of assistance, be there. And so this morning, as we talk about patience, it's something that we have all experienced, and it's something that as believers we're called to grow in. For everyone who has experienced the grace and mercy of God and salvation in Christ, we can say without a doubt that we have experienced the patience of God towards us in our sin. Because it's only because of his patience that we are saved. When you look at the cross, see the kindness and patience of God towards you? Do you see that? As you look at the cross, it should just represent one of the things is, my God is patient. He has been so patient with me. Don't presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. He's been so patient with us. And if there are those of you who are here and you haven't yet placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of new life that's found in him, know, hear this, that the Lord is merciful and gracious, that he is slow to anger, that he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is not slow in coming again. But he doesn't want anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
That's his heart's desire. And right now, if you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, you are experiencing his patience. Are you ready? Ephesians 2, 4 to 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What kind of patience, what kind of love is that? We don't deserve it. It's hard to believe. And in the same way, church, we are also called to show that kind of patience with others in our families, in our workplaces, and in our communities. And as we started, none of this is to say, you know, we might push back and say, oh, but so-and-so, how long do I keep on going with them on this? Do I just let people keep on not getting with the program? not to say and dismiss that things are wrong and if needed that we should respond. But what it does say is, and it impacts how we respond. Maybe you need to take a walk before you go right at it. Maybe you need to write things out. Maybe you need to just let, the, let the, the boiling water cool down a little bit before you respond. Because you can patiently respond where action is needed. We are the body of Christ, purposed with sharing the gospel. And so, if you, if you were asked this question, what is the world seeing whenever they look at the body of Christ? Just think, what does the world see whenever they think of the church, whenever they think of Christians? Are they seeing a people who are patient, a people who are persevering, enduring, and loving others as they wait for their Savior's return? What are they seeing in you? If someone looked at you, are they saying, yep, that's what I see? As someone looks at us, they see a people who are patient. We live at a time when as much as ever the picture is being given that Christians are not that, but that they are short-tempered, maybe insensitive, maybe impatient, hurtful in their words, in their tone. The list can go on and on, right? So church for us, let's work hard. Let's work hard as we can with all of his energy, energy to grow in being a people who are patient. But that's what the world sees. In a book that some of us are, are reading, here's a statement that just stuck out. Outsiders define us by what we do, not by what we say or by what we believe. We know that's true. And so let's watch our lives. Watch it online. Watch it offline. Watch it everywhere in whatever interaction it is. If we want to clear the roads the best that we can for opportunities to share about the hope and the life change that is available to be experienced in Jesus, our lives need to show it. And so here's some encouragement for you from Paul this morning. And maybe this is an area where you need to greatly have God's help right now. You think about patience like, where is it in your life that, man, I really, yes, God, I know, I need to work on that in that area. Maybe it's with someone in your family. Parent, maybe it's with a kid. Kid, maybe it's with a parent. Maybe it's with a sibling. In your workplace. Or maybe it's just that season of life that you're in and you're waiting patiently on the Lord and you need to be patient with the Lord. 
I got to fit this in one more time. I got two, and there's two injured people here in the front row, right? <laughs> Leah looked at me last week. She's like, I'm really going to hear it now. She's like, Dad, that's two weeks in a row. Um, <laughs> but, but it's it, you know, when there's injury in our lives, we got to be patient with the Lord and trust his timing and his purposes. And the same thing for all of us, the unexpected thing. And maybe you're in that season where you have been praying for someone hard, and we just need to patiently wait on his timing and trust him in this. And so be encouraged to know this, because this is what Paul writes. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God started something in you. He's going to finish it in you. It might not be on our timing that we want it to be the case, but he's working, and there's a promise there that he's going to bring it to completion. And so let's ask the Lord for his help in this. Let's respond to the Lord's patience with this. And maybe it's responding for the first time. Maybe you're here and you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you hear this story that, man, there is this God who loves me and cares for me, who, who uh, even though I am a sinner and I've fallen short so many times, yet he's holding out and he's not giving me what I deserve and he's made a way for me so that I can be saved and have a hope of heavenly, heaven for eternity. And it's not about me being good enough, but it's just he is a God of grace and mercy. And he's saying, would you just place your faith and trust in me? Maybe this morning it is responding to his patience in that way. Maybe it's asking for his forgiveness so for when we've reached our boiling points with other people. Maybe that kind of interaction has happened for you this week and you really need to, to go back to that person and ask for forgiveness. Maybe it's with him, and you're waiting for him to work. I don't know what it is. You know what there is in your life. Maybe this morning it's just a time to come and just ask him, God, I need your help. God, would you fill me with your spirit and you? Lord, would you help me to trust you in this? Because really, isn't this an issue of trust? Whenever this doesn't go whose way? Our way, in the way that we think it should, it's trusting him in the midst of it. I don't know what it is for you, but let's, um, let's just bow our heads and let's ask him for his help. This morning as we, as we sing, as always, if you want to come to the altar, that it's a place that is always available to you, just to come and say, Lord, I need you. I need your help.